Old Testament reading for the second Sunday after the Epiphany is from 1 Samuel chapter 3. The young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here am I. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, the Lord for the body. And God raised, and God raised the Lord and will also raise up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know? that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Now, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, 
You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. He said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever had an epiphany? I had one this morning. As I tried to get here, get to church, I backed out of my driveway, obviously, and I didn't go very far, and I said, aha, well, I guess this is where my road ends. And so I called Pastor Rothschild. I gave him an ultimatum. I said, either you've come pick me up or you're preaching. <laughs> and you know which one he chose. No, just, just kidding. Thank you very much for, for volunteering to come and give me. But the dictionary says the epif an epiphany is a moment of sudden insight or discovery. It's like the cartoon light bulb, bing, that goes on when you recognize something or you realize something quite profound and you say, aha, or eureka, which is in the Greek, I found it. Or a lot of times in my case, it's usually, duh. Why didn't, why didn't I know that? Does everybody already know that? Yeah, they, they do. Ugh. Right? So that's usually my eureka moment. But in the original Greek, the word epiphany means manifestation. It means appearance. And that is what the church is celebrating during this season now of epiphany. God manifesting, appearing to us men, specifically in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is God in the flesh. And during the epiphany, we follow then the life of Christ, celebrating Jesus and how he reveals himself to be the Son of Man, but also the very Son of God in the flesh the promised Messiah, the Christ, the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. So during this second Sunday now, after the Epiphany, we hear Nathaniel's, we hear of Nathaniel's Epiphany. Of course, we need to keep in mind that it is always God's action. He's the one that is doing the appearing and the manifest, manifesting of himself. So recognizing Jesus to be the very Son of God is never arrived at by our own reason or our own strength. It is God's work in and for us. We found him. We found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Philip proclaimed to Nathanael. But Nathanael wasn't quite sure about that. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, he asks. So just to be clear, there is a bit of a debate about what precisely was the motivation behind Nathaniel's question. Yes, Nathaniel doubted the word that Philip spoke to him. No doubt about it, he doubted. And yes, Nathaniel was a bit snarky, perhaps, with his comeback. With a wave of a hand, he seems to simply dismiss all of Nazareth and all of its people as insignificant. But 
as I was preparing for this sermon, I found that Martin Luther, in his sermons in the Gospel of John, says this. Nathaniel's words were not dictated by a spirit of malice. And he also says, we dare not interpret these words uncharitably. Instead, Luther says, Nathaniel utters these words here as a pious, good, and simple-minded man who believes the sayings of Moses and the prophets. Like I said, that's debatable, but that's what we're going with this morning. Okay? And along with Nathaniel's question, there's also a bit of a debate then about what Jesus meant when he sees Nathaniel coming towards him. He says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And that's fine. There can be disagreements or different perspectives on this. It's not a matter of the faith that saves. But it's interesting that Luther takes Jesus calling Nathaniel a true Israelite to mean that Nathaniel knew and studied Scripture, searching Scripture for the Messiah promised in those very pages. But God's Word never said a thing about the Messiah coming from Nazareth. And so Philip's excitement about this Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph, that certainly, uh, that he, the certainty that, that Philip had, that he had found the Messiah, that just did not make sense to Nathaniel. Hence, the snarky comeback. Come and see, Philip says. All right, fine. Nathaniel gets up and makes his way to see the guy that Philip, or Nathaniel gets up and makes his way to see the guy that Philip was so excited about, is Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. But as we'll see, it is Jesus who never took his eyes off of Nathaniel. As Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now, how is that for a greeting from Jesus? Nathaniel taken back by that, asked, how do you know me? Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus said. And there it was. Boom. Epiphany. Aha. Eureka. Really. That's all that it took for Nathaniel. I saw you under a fig tree? That's it? He's going to see far greater things than that. Far greater things in the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet that was enough. That was enough for Nathaniel at that time and that this really was the Messiah, the Son of God. And then after Jesus, the Son of God manifests, appears, make, makes himself manifest to Nathaniel, Nathaniel responds with a tremendous uh, expression of faith. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. God used Philip to call Nathaniel, a true Israelite, to follow him, the Son of God, the true Messiah, the Savior. And he did so with a rather simple, come and see. So you see, evangelism is not that hard, is it? All seriousness, something as simple as come and see, inviting a person to meet Jesus face to face where he promises that he will be present in his word that you are hearing now, in the sacrament that we will be receiving, that can and it does create saving faith in the hearts and minds of previously unbelievers. 
come and see. But this wasn't the case for all believers. And don't forget, something as simple as come and see, yes, canon does work. And somewhere along the line, someone loved you enough to tell you to come and see Jesus. So keep that in mind as well. But this wasn't the case for all Israelites. In fact, Jesus calling Nathanael an Israelite in our text is rather important. Interestingly, throughout the book of John, Jesus refers to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and other folks like them, not as Israelites, but he calls them Jews. He calls them Jews. And this is interesting, then, the point that Jesus makes in that sermon that I referenced earlier. He suggests, he suggests Luther does, that that we think of these Israelites at that time in two classes. First, you have the entire nation of Israel, all of which can rightfully be called Israelites. These are the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They boasted in Abraham being their father rather than boasting in God. But at the time of Jesus, most had abandoned the true faith of their father Abraham, the faith that saves, the faith that trusts, in God and the promise of the Messiah, the Savior, that was coming. These are the people that Jesus simply refers to as Jews. Because at that point, they had really invented a completely separate, their own religion, different from the Old Testament faith of the Israelites, a religion based not on faith but on works and works righteousness, striving to earn God's salvation through the keeping of God's law. But Luther then points out that there's another class of Israelites, the genuine, true believers. These folks were few and far between. These were the folks who went out to see John the Baptist and heard him preach and point to Jesus Christ, and they believed that message, and they would be baptized by John the Baptist. These were the people who eagerly awaited the coming Messiah who would save his people from their sins. So Martin Luther places Nathaniel into that, I hate, hate to say second class, but the, the smaller of the two, that latter class. He was a true Israelite indeed, a believer. The, he kept the promise and the faith of Abraham when the Jews did not. And Jesus, the very Son of God in the flesh, cannot be deceived. He knew immediately which class of Israelite Nathaniel belonged to and said accordingly. Then, in a nice move, Luther, in that sermon, he applies those two classes to his own day, in his own time. He saw, within his own time, two, large, two, lar uh, two groups or classes of Christians. The larger class were those who were baptized. They called themselves believers in Jesus. They called themselves Christians, but they really didn't believe it. He saw many who did not remain true to their baptism, many who wandered away from Christ, many who rejected his word and abandoned his sacrament. And like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all of the other Jews, they had invented, really, a, a false religion. They invented a different religion for themselves. They boasted in everything else other than God. That's not enough, Luther says. You must have faith. You must have the faith. You must believe in Jesus Christ, the one who manifested, who came and revealed himself to be the very Son of God. And this, of course, is the other class 
smaller class of Christians, the true believers, those who boast in nothing else, nothing other than Jesus and God. Well, not much has changed, has it? Not much has changed since Jesus' day, and not much has changed since Luther's day. The heart of sinful man continues to refuse to believe and by nature rejects Christ, rejects God and the salvation that God, uh, God has purchased and won for us. Yet Jesus still cannot be deceived. Just as he knew and he saw Nathanael, a true Israelite under the fig tree, he knows and he sees you and every other single person too. What does he see? Does he see someone who boasts in their baptism as some sort of magic? I really don't need to go to church. I really don't need to hear the absolution or to receive the Lord's Supper. I'm baptized. I'm good. I've got my get-out-of-jail-free card. I can live now however I want. Or, as our epistle warns against, maybe he sees someone who has deluded themselves into thinking that they can be enslaved by sin or enslaved by the basest animalistic lust in their heart, like sexual immorality, which, yes, includes things, as, as Paul mentions, shamefully uniting one's body to a prostitute, but it also includes things that are so commonplace in our culture, in our godless society today and they're making their way into, their, into the church, too. Things like scrolling on the phone or computer, looking at images that we should not be looking at, or sleeping with, or living with someone who is not your spouse. These things have made their way into the church. But Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is united to Christ. Your body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for God and to be a member of Christ. For what you do with your body matters because your body is eternal. And as Paul says, it will be raised just as Christ is raised. Your body will be raised on that last day. Your body matters. Or perhaps, like, perhaps most likely, I should say, Jesus sees someone who is waffling back and forth between those two classes, the true believing class and the, the not believing class, believer to unbeliever, unbeliever back to believer, back and forth, depending on how your life is going at the moment. Well, have you ever had an epiphany? Maybe it's time for an epiphany, an epiphany of who you are and your status before an almighty God. An epiphany that, like Nathaniel, you too doubt the word that is spoken to you, and you often dismiss it as if you know better. An epiphany that, apart from Jesus Christ, you are nothing but a desperate, poor, miserable sinner, as we confess this morning, in which there is nothing but deceit. An epiphany that your sinful heart creates an infinite number of idols, which all are buying to enslave you under sin. But it is also time for an even greater epiphany, the greatest of all epiphanies, that the man, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph, is indeed the son of God, the king of Israel. And this is important, crucial, vital, eternally vital, 
because this is your Savior who saves you from all of those sins. This morning, then, every time, indeed every time, not just this morning, but every time you hear God's word, you come face to face with true God, true man, Jesus Christ, and he knows you intimately. And he sees you. And yes, he can see right through your deceit. So quit. You don't need to. He sees right through it. Yet even though he has seen all of it, he chose to shed his blood to forgive you, to make his way to the cross anyway. He chose the hardest part in order to forgive you of all of it. He chose to make you his own, to be united with you. Just as Jesus is pleased to see a true Israelite in Nathaniel, he is pleased to see a true Christian today. A Christian who knows their sin, doesn't try to hide it, but repents and confesses of that sin and boasts only then in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and receives the forgiveness of sins and the salvation that is given by Christ, given to us without any merit or worthiness in us. True Christian indeed. Jesus cannot be deceived. What does he see? Well, by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, forgiven by Christ's shed blood for you, united to him in the waters of holy baptism, he now sees in you his precious child, wrapped in his righteousness, declared holy, righteous, forgiven, perfect. And he promises that he will never take his loving eyes off of you. So come and see. Come and see. Come and taste Christ's forgiveness, one for you on the cross, for this is where he comes to you to call you and to strengthen your faith and to keep you in that class of true believer, giving you everything you need to remain in the one true faith in this life and the next. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.